0: Michelle Major's USA Today best-selling Romance is all about new beginnings, second chances and always a happily ever after. Just the thing for Christmas relief and her latest festive book, The Christmas Cabin, delivers on all fronts. Welcome to the joys of binge reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical, and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and on Binge Reading This Week, Michelle talks about the appeal of Christmas stories. She's written lots of them and why second chance romance is one of her favourite things to write. Our giveaway this week is a book bundle of three holiday novellas from my own of gold and blood historic mystery series. If you enjoy twisty family secrets and a dash of sweet romance, you'll love this trio of novellas set in New York, Hawaii and California. You can support the show by buying me a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash jenny wheel small x that's jenny j-e-n-y wheel w-h-e-l-x small x your contribution helps to pay for production costs but all of my time in researching and recording the show is done for no cost. But now here's Michelle. Hello there, Michelle, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. I'm so
1: excited to be here. Thank you. The Christmas Cabin is your newest release, I think, and it's also part of the very successful Carolina Girls series. And when I looked at the series, I discovered that this is actually the third Christmas book you've done in that series. So Obviously, your readers love them. What do you think it is that attracts readers to Christmas stories?
2: As a reader myself and a writer, I think Christmas stories are so special because it's a time of year when we look back at our memories, whether we have those rose-colored glasses on and everybody thinks about the perfect Christmas around the fire and Unfortunately, it's not always the reality in the world at large or in a family. And so I think escaping into a Christmas book where you can just sink into all of those traditions and sweetness is really special at this time of year. Now, the couple in your story, Laura and Ben, were married briefly as youngsters and for
1: quite understandable reasons, really. It didn't last very long. And they are now meeting up again quite some time later in their old home territory.
2: I guess you would describe this as a second chance romance, wouldn't you? I would. And second chance romance is one of my favorite to write. So I loved it. Why is that? Why is second chance romance so attractive? My writing process often starts with character development and the emotions between the two main characters. You know, in movies, I love love at first sight and I love those moments of being hit by something. But I think writing Second Chance, it's just so juicy because they have a history and often it hasn't ended well. So you can really jump in the deep end on the emotional tension. And I guess often when a relationship breaks
1: up, people are at a certain point in their development. and They frame things in a certain way, which may not actually be at all correct and truthful and may not reflect what the other party sees. And then years later, they've had a chance to think about it a bit more. So they might see it all rather differently, mightn't
2: they? They might see it differently. And I think a lot of times when second chance couples first come back together, they don't quite see it differently at the start of their reunion. They're maybe stunted a little bit back in that breakup, those feelings of the big breakup song and what happened. And so then the readers get to go on this kind of growth journey with them where they, they realize, oh, maybe it wasn't quite how I thought it was years ago. Yeah,
1: sure. They come to it with preconceptions. That's right. Yeah. The Christmas theme comes through very strongly in The Christmas Cabin because you've got a Christmas market that takes place. I'd like you to give us just a little bit more of a rundown on the storyline to help explain why that Christmas market appears.
2: Yes, so I would love to do that. Lauren, the heroine, comes back to Magnolia, North Carolina, her hometown that she really hasn't returned to since her breakup and divorce with ben and she brings her daughter who's having some struggles of her own her teenage daughter back for her younger brother's wedding and when she gets there she realizes she didn't have a great home life and the brightest spot in her youth was camp blossom the local summer camp and that was for her as a child and a teenager her found family at that point and the camp is closing and is being redeveloped and Ben and her estranged father are doing that but Lauren decides that she's really going to give the owner of the camp and herself and her daughter one last amazing Christmas to rekindle all those great memories and the Christmas market is a big part of that.
1: It's also a, an acknowledgement of the older man, isn't it? The old man and his life achievement. So it's very sweet. You do describe your books as stories of hope, healing, and happily ever after. And I thought to myself that it's really clear that at the moment, the way w- the world is, people are under a tremendous amount of stress, which probably began with COVID. But nothing's really returned to how we understood it to be before. So do you think there's a place for this hope, healing, and happy ever after, even more now than there was before?
2: Yes, absolutely. Even more. I think it is not to discount the problems in the world, but I think as people and individuals, it does get so heavy. And I think a lot of that did start during COVID when so many of us felt so isolated, so... This ability to connect through the words on a page, to me, it's one of my favorite things about being a writer is to provide this because I know as a person, I have a strict rule when watching movies that if I know it's not going to be a happy ending, I can't sign up for that at this point because I'm willing to laugh and cry, but I need some redemption at the end. Look, it wasn't
1: either... 30 contemporary romances in eight different series. And the most recent ones, as far as I could see, were Carolina Girls and Magnolia Sisters. They're both set in North Carolina. And for some reason, North Carolina's been very much on my radar recently as a place where a lot of romance and sweet romance family stories are set. And I wondered if there's any particular reason for that.
2: I think North Carolina, I didn't grow up there. I grew up in the Midwest, in America, in Ohio, and I've lived for the past 30 years in Colorado. But my family vacation to North Carolina back in the late 70s and early 80s when we were in the wood-paneled van, trundling down the highway, and I think the beaches are really special there, but it also has mountains and those small towns. It's a great mix of a lot of things that makes small town sweet romance special.
1: Yeah, that's great. Your stories are also facing up to life not delivering what people might have hoped for. Brokenness, disappointed expectation. And I think in the previous book, the heroine had been the self-proclaimed queen bee of magnolia and now her husband's been arrested for fraud she's become an outcast in the shallow circles where she used to rule now that sounds such a great setup for a story of somebody getting to know themselves well do you think people like to even get a few lessons in how to do that when things
2: go wrong hope so i do as a reader and i love to explore it As a writer, and I think when you are reading a book about people, especially a book that's set in contemporary times, who have real problems that you can relate to, it does give you some empathy for the character. And then as they overcome it, you can see yourself in those people and watching them grow and learn and become better versions of themselves, I hope is inspirational.
1: What do readers tell you they like best about your book?
2: I think, I hope the romance, but I also think that I hear from a lot of readers because I tend to write books with big worlds in a small town where they're close-knit, there's a lot of secondary characters, and so I hear a lot about the female friendships in my book and those feeling really real, which I love because I've been married over 20 years and I adore my husband, but I don't think I could get through life without my female friends too. So showing that aspect, all aspects of a character, I think is really fun. Did you start out writing these sorts of books right
1: from the beginning or is it something that's evolved as you've gone along?
2: I started out as a category series writer with Harlequin, so I was writing shorter books. And the deadline schedule was such that I was doing several a year, which I think was such a good training ground for me as far as plotting and staying on deadlines. So then when I branched out into writing these bigger stories, I felt like that was a natural progression for me as an author. And they were small town, sweet romances, were they at the beginning? They were. I've done a variety of heat levels in my books, but probably on the, if you're doing a one to four scale of heat, I think four is the hottest I've gotten, but always with that kind of cozy, small town feel.
1: Sure. And how did you actually start getting into fiction writing? Did you have a light bulb
2: moment when... You just thought, I've got to write a book, Well, how did that happen? I absolutely had a light bulb moment. I was always a reader, and I was a journalism major in college, but I had a career in human resources during the late 90s, early 2000s, when the dot-com bubble busted, and I was traveling the country, laying people off. My company went bankrupt, and it was a terrible job. and. One time randomly in the Denver airport, I picked up a romance. I'd never read the genre before, and it was exactly what I needed at that point in my life. That escape, that happiness, those butterflies in my stomach. And I also thought, oh my gosh, the stories that I tell myself in my head, or I watch a show and think, this is how I would have done. They lend themselves to romance. So that's what I want to do next. Do you remember what that book was? I do. It was it was an offer from a gentleman. It was a Julia Quinn, one of the Bridgerton books. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so have you gone into the
1: series on TV?
2: Yes, I love the series on TV. And it's been so fun since I read those books. A decade ago, it's great to come back and revisit those characters. It's wonderful. And so you read that book,
1: then you read time and just start a
2: Not exactly. I was still working. And then at that point, I was getting married. And when I was pregnant with my first child, I thought, okay, I'm going to work part time, which I still was. And I'm going to have a baby, but babies sleep all the time. So while he's sleeping, I'm going to just write and write and write. And what I didn't realize is that at least my baby slept for five minutes at a time. And so it took a few years. I I worked on craft and I joined my local Romance Writers of America chapter and met a like-minded group of people. And then eventually the kids slept and I got into it more seriously. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think this is a familiar story with many writers, actually, that there are quite a few years of apprenticeship and learning and perseverance. It's not as if there's almost no writer you talk to who has had that overnight success.
2: I agree with that. I wish when I was reading the classics and reading literary books in college and in my early 20s that I had picked up a romance because maybe... I could have started earlier, but I also think things happen when they are supposed to. And so I'm really grateful that they did. It's funny, isn't it? Because
1: that does reflect the way that romance was regarded in those years as being not as important as literary writers. And so it wasn't ever included on college reading lists and things like that.
2: Exactly. Exactly. But I, I think some of that... I hope some of that is changing. And to me, one of the really great things about romance is the author and reader community. People are so dedicated and so open, and I love it. So are you somebody
1: who just sits down and starts writing? Do you do a lot of plotting beforehand?
2: I like to think of myself as a planter. I'm somewhere in between. As I said, I do a lot of character development where I know a lot about the character's wound and what they have to overcome. And I know the big tent poles of the plot. And I always know how it's going to end for some reason, the first scene and the last scene. But then I tend to plot more specifically three chapters in advance where I give myself a little freedom to see where the book is going to go. But I like to have some guidance so I'm not writing into the mist.
1: Yes, yes.
2: And what does a typical writing day look like for you at this stage of your life? At this stage, I am newly an empty nester. So that is a big change in a good way. I get up really early still, 5 or 5.30, and I'll do some movement, walk the dog, and let's say get my own self in order and then i sit down and i tend to do a couple of hours straight in the morning and then take a break do email social media and then come back in the afternoon for more and do you have a daily goal in terms of the number of words you write I typically do a weekly goal, which is if I'm drafting a book, it's between ten and fifteen thousand a week, and I like to break that up into two to three thousand words a day. It doesn't always work that way, so sometimes I'll have to make it up or not. yeah
1: I read a little bit on your website about your early days and your adventurous spirit the way you set off across the country and I do always like to ask people about their life and work experience before they became a writer and if it was of benefit or detriment to their working as a writer when they set to it. And you sound as if you had a very great adventurous spirit when you were a young woman taking off like that. Can you tell us a bit about those early years?
2: Yeah, so I I grew up, as I said, in Ohio, but I always knew my family had vacation near the mountains and I knew I wanted to live somewhere near the mountains in college, and I graduated early. That was before the internet or computers were pretty pretty new to the mainstream public, and so I got a book out of the library called Jobs in Paradise, and I sent my resume and my letter out to any job that was available in a state that had mountains, and I got hired on at a dude ranch in Colorado, And I had some experience riding horses, but I just packed up my old Honda and my luggage was black garbage bags and put everything in and headed west. I had a variety of jobs in my early days out here. I didn't know anybody in the state, so I was just trying to find a way to stay here. And I think... But that point, when you're in the middle of it, it's like writing a story where you're not thinking, wow, this is an accomplishment. But I think the perseverance there to go, "Okay, I'm going to make this work no matter what I have to do has served me in the writing career. If there was
1: one thing that you'd see as the secret of your success in that career,
2: what would it be? I think keeping the promises to myself. So it's certainly easier to write when you have a deadline that comes from your publisher, when you've gotten the advance. But I think the perseverance of going, okay, I, I say I'm going to do this, sitting down and writing the words, even on a day when it, it doesn't come easy and I'd rather watch Instagram reels of cute cats all day. I think that is my superpower as a writer.
1: Secret microlysis to myself, that's fantastic. So was there a specific goal that you had in mind when you started out as an author? Have you still got an unfinished ambition like to have a Bridgerton series on TV or something? What are your goals and
2: have you reached them yet? I have reached some of them for sure. And I would love to have a Bridgerton (laughs) series on Netflix. I said every author everywhere in the world every day. but goal-wise, one of my big goals, and I'm not sure where it came from, but I'm a pretty fast writer. And it's also the only thing I really like to do and that I'm good at doing. I don't have any other than walking my dog. I don't have a lot of hobbies. So I wanted to publish 50 books in 10 years. So 2023 is my 10-year anniversary, and I hit 50 books actually in 2022. So that felt really good to just stick with it for that goal that's fantastic and i think we can all remind ourselves that
1: bridgerton actually took 20 years for them to discover it didn't they yes exactly in fact the actual tv series has been rather pepped up for the 2020s when the books were first published in 2000
2: they weren't quite the same were they they were not quite the same which is also really fun to see how you can modernize something for where the culture is at a time in a really respectful way. I love it. And who wouldn't want something done by Shonda Rhimes? I think she is fantastic. Yeah, she has got an amazing touch. Look, we always
1: like to ask our authors about the taste as readers, and we do focus on the popular fiction side of things, the books that people read for comfort or entertainment or escapism. I'm not sure if you read books for that purpose. I suspect you do. But what are you reading at the moment and what would you like to recommend to our listeners? I will
2: admit I don't read as much for pleasure now as I used to just because the writing takes so much time. But I absolutely love reading for pleasure. And as I said, Bridgerton was my first foray into romance, and I've always loved historical romance. Lisa Claypass is another like super, I'm a big fan. Right now, I'm actually reading The Sweetheart List by Jill Shalvis, who's a contemporary romance author, and I've been reading her for decades, and it's fantastic. I think when you find an author whose voice and humor resonates with you as a reader, it's just such a pleasure to return to whatever world they're creating. Sure, that's right. Looking back down the tunnel of
1: time at your creative career, if there was one thing that you would
2: change, what would it be? I would say, as I mentioned, I wish I would have started earlier. And two, I wish that... When I was first starting, I wasn't quite as, there is a stigma around romance outside of the romance community. And I wish that I had, I wouldn't say told more people off, but stood up for the genre the way I do now as a newer author. And what would you say to those who
1: do still rather look down their noses at romance? When you're standing up, Brit, what do you
2: say? Well, I think the fact that it's undeniable how much romance books sell, I think that is a true factual thing. But I think something that people need to remember, too, is most stories, whether it's commercial fiction or big blockbuster movies, they have a thread of romance running through them. It is something that binds us all together so i think it's important to point out you might think you don't like romance if you tell me what your favorite movies are or your favorite books i bet i can find a romance subplot at least in them
1: what's next for michelle's author when you look ahead for the next 12 months what have you got on your desk that you'd like to see finished by this time in 2024 or started by this time in 2024
2: my next book comes out in February. So I have that to look forward to. And I think there's one more book, at least that I'm planning in the Carolina Girls series. And then I'm working on some new proposals, one where I've returned to Colorado as a setting, and another one in Tennessee, which is another one of my favorite places. For me, I'm I think this freedom of being an empty nester. I'm trying to spread my wings a little bit and see what excites me. The February book, is that part of one of your existing series? It's actually part of one of the Harlequin continuity series that I've been writing on for 10 books now called The Fortunes of Texas. And it's a continuity that's been, been a favorite with the reader base for, gosh, I think, over 20 years now. So it's really fun. And it used to be six books, but now they're expanding it to 12 books. But the continuity will go six books, one published every month, each by a different author. So it's really fun because it's a very collaborative effort between the authors as far as building the world and connecting the books together. Have you done any of those before? I have. They started the beginning of the year, January or February, and I've been the kickoff author for the past six or seven years. So it's fun. Fantastic. And do they have the same cast of characters? They do have the same. It's a family that is a very prolific family as far as they have many branches to the Fortune's family tree. So it's fun. We get what we call a series bible, so an outline of the stories. And then as a group of authors, we get to dig in and make each one our own. So it's, for me, a little bit of a palate cleanser because it's still within the genre, but it's something different than the worlds I normally write in. So it's a fun challenge. And they're probably around about 50,000 words, are they? They are. They're about 55,000 words. They're the shorter books. And your normal books would be? Seventy to 80,000. Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: But that's wonderful. Now, the last very important question, do you enjoy interacting with your readers and where can they find you on online
2: or offline? So glad you asked that question. I do, I love interacting with readers and I am most active on Facebook at Michelle Major Author and Instagram at Michelle Major Books. I do also send out a monthly email, which you could sign up for at michellemajor.com. And I do exclusive contests and giveaways and bonus content. And then coming up in 2024, I will be for the second year at Reader's Take Denver in April, which is a huge, really fun. uh, Last year was the the inaugural year, and they had over a thousand readers come for the weekend, which was amazing. And then I'm also doing an author named Lori Foster, does a weekend in the Cincinnati area. It's called the Lori Foster Reader-Author Get-Together, and I'm doing that for the first time this year. Fantastic. It's nice
1: to be able to get back out amongst people, isn't it? Did COVID affect you very much in that regard?
2: COVID did affect me in that I had two kids in high school at the time. So I I felt like it didn't affect my daily life other than the fact that my husband and my kids were around, which definitely was a big change, but also trying to support them to have a normal teenage experience in the middle of this. Yeah.
1: Look, it's been wonderful talking, Rachelle. Thank you so much for your time
2: and all the very best with that future writing. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I enjoyed speaking with you. I loved your story, so that's great. Hope you get that Bridget and sometime. <laughs> Thank you. I'll come back on when I do. <laughs> Thanks. You. Bye.
0: Bye. Next week on Binge Reading, Joe Thomas and more Christmas stories featuring food, love, families and fun. Joe's books have been described as giving readers a great big hug. She talks about her latest story, Countdown to Christmas, Chloe can't wait for Christmas to be over. Her son Reuben is staying with his dad and Chloe is planning to ignore the holidays altogether but a surprise call changes everything. That's next week on Binge Reading. That's it for today. See you next time and happy reading.